there, folks, and welcome or welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima, again. And this podcast was brought to you, among others, by Emil Gorgis, a Tokyo real estate agent who specializes in serving international or mixed nationality families looking for the perfect family home. So Emil's an Australian. He's been living here in Japan for the past two decades, eight years of which he's been actively buying, selling, and managing real estate properties in the city on behalf of his own family and a great many happy clients. And he also acts as a mortgage broker on behalf of his clients. So his company has a dedicated loan officer in many of the Japanese mega banks. And if you're a regular listener, you probably already know him from our JREP, the Japan Real Estate Experts panel sessions. So you're probably already aware that the man is an absolute fountain of wisdom on all things related to real estate in Japan. And in particular to family homes, the greater Tokyo metropolitan area and mortgages. And most importantly, he's incredibly generous with his time and advice, which he's more than happy to provide at no cost or commitment to anyone asking. So if you've been thinking about buying your home in Tokyo, but you've been sitting on the fence for a while, or if you just want to have a chat in English with a real expert, drop him a line on emil.gorgis, that's E-M-I-L dot G-O-R-G double E S Emil dot Gorgies at Tokyo Realty dot JP. Hit him up today and start exploring your options. All right. So for today's episode, this is a conversation I've had recently with an Australian guy who's currently looking at buying a countryside holiday home in Japan for his own personal family use. And we talked a lot about what can be had at what budget, access infrastructures and most importantly the type of due diligence and potential caveats that one needs to take into account when assessing these deals so as always cheaper doesn't necessarily mean a better deal and in fact cheaper doesn't necessarily mean cheaper either so we talk about potential rebuild restrictions maintenance costs depreciation and renovations and much much more a really good informative conversation and not too long for a change either. So I hope you enjoy it and I'll see you again on the other side. Okay, so you, you've mentioned the house within an hour up to hour and a half um, from Tokyo or Osaka. I assume that that means by train, yeah? Uh, yeah, preferably by train. Um, I can't really imagine sort of sitting on a bus for that long. Um, but a train is sort of more comfortable for me. Okay, no, I mean, but not, um, you're not expecting to own a car and be driving those distances and so forth. Because that, that uh, sometimes no, changes so the commute. Like the train is actually usually a lot faster than a car. So just want to confirm which one you meant. Yeah, so definitely a train for now. Okay, so that probably is why you're looking at um, cheaper houses, according to your email, somewhere between two, two and a half million to seven, right? Uh, yen. Uh, yeah, so that would be sort of the comfortable range, um, you know, sort of, uh, it would feel better to be on the lower end of that range, just because, um, you know, this is sort of um, something a little bit of an experiment kind of for me. Um, so it would be great to sort of be on the lower end, like that's where I would feel the most comfortable, but if necessary, I can stretch up to the higher end, I think. Okay, so I'm guessing from that uh, budget of the properties you've been looking at, I'm guessing you're looking at stuff that was built uh, maybe early 80s or earlier. Is that about right? Yeah, and uh, one of the questions that I had around that was just, 
you know, given the environment in Japan where you've sort of got typhoons and earthquakes occasionally, um, you know, how, how much does that cause the, um, you know, older buildings to sort of turn up issues in a building inspection? Um, does, does it play a big role? I, I know that I've heard you say in the past that it was something like, um, uh, you know, after the 1980s, I think, um, the building codes changed. That's for reinforced concrete structures, so the um, condo units and so forth. Okay. I think what you're looking at is um, just normal wooden houses, right? Uh, yeah, so that would... I, I guess one of my other questions was how, how, how do they hold up over the years, basically? Um, well, look, first off, an earthquake could always demolish a building, right? Um, especially a house. Um, the ones that are of that age that you're talking about, they've, I mean, they don't build them with very durable materials um, for that reason and others for, for because of the natural disasters that could occur. And also, um, I guess maybe um, it's a bit of a, uh, like a unspoken agreement with um, housing developers that they kind of can rebuild the house every 25, 27 years. So anything that you're looking at, which is, I would say, older than 20, 25 years would probably start stacking up in maintenance. So you might be buying them cheaply, but you'll be looking into, um, I'd say on average, maybe two, $3,000 a year in maintenance for those older uh, wooden homes. Right, got it. Um, so I'm and not sure how that factors into, I mean, yes, you'd be saving money on the purchase itself, but you're buying into expenses. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, that's really good information that will sort of feed into my decision, I think. Um, and, and when, if a rebuild eventually did become necessary, um, what does that look like? Um, well, first off, we'd probably need to um, do due diligence on, on a case-by-case -case basis because some of the zoning regulations have changed over the years. And properties that were built 20, 30 years ago um, or more from what you're looking at might not qualify for the same sort of structure to be built. So depending on the access roads and how wide they are and... Um, you know, in the past, they used to build in Japan, like um, there'd be a, a few lots um, that were very close together, but the access, the, the public access road actually only allows access into one of them. And then the neighbors would sort of have their private agreements that allow them to access the, their own home via a neighboring lot. Right. But that's not necessarily going to be something that you'd be able to rebuild uh, legally on um, these days. So we need to, on a case-by-case -case basis, see which properties you're looking at and whether they can be rebuilt. The other thing is um, if they've got a concrete base, then a rebuild will actually fall under a renovation as long as that base is kept, in which case okay. you, you might be able to sidestep the, um, the rebuilding limitations and just call it a renovation officially. Right, that's interesting. Um, mm. And then... I know that in in rains the um, the government database for property, yeah. Um, sort of the the build dates are, are there and everything. Does that mean that some of the properties that say that they're older may have actually been essentially rebuilt? 
Um, it's possible. The, the date that you see in Reigns and the, on the listings is usually the original build date. So it might have been that the property was, you know, kind of completely renovated uh, all the way up from the base. If you're looking at an actual rebuild of a property from scratch, let's say you've got a land plot and you're building a, like your typical kind of modern Japanese home on it, let's say three or four bedrooms up to 100, 120 square, which is the typical house in Japan. Um, that would usually be anywhere between 20 to 30 million yen for the build. So in Australian dollars, maybe somewhere between uh, 230 to 350 kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but that, that's for a brand new construction, including a new base, including everything. So, I mean, right. anywhere, I, I would assume that anywhere above 100,000 Australian, or let's call it um, uh, above 10 million yen, it's probably a better idea to consider a rebuild rather than just renovate an old structure. Because if you're going to be paying for half of that, you might as well get a new one. Yeah, but and basically beyond of, um, beyond those 25, 27 years is when they're considered fully depreciated uh, from a tax perspective, at least. So okay, you're not 25, yes. 25 or 27 from memory. So you're basically when you're purchasing something older than that, you're only paying for the land. The house is not considered to officially have any value anymore. Okay, I see. Uh, while we're on reigns, I, I found an article that um, talked about adding um, transaction history to reigns. So I was just wondering, is there any service like that that shows transaction histories of a property in Japan? Um, we do get this information from uh, some of the realtors that we work with. So whether they get it from reigns or from another database, I'm not too sure, but they do occasionally have access to it. Yes, um, I'm not sure it's fully automated and... Um, easy to browse but it is it is information that's publicly available maybe through the legal affairs bureau uh, who keep a history of ownership transfers and so forth um, okay, not that, that not always of... including prices though sometimes we just see that the property has changed hands on this and that date not always going to have the prices with it right okay um yeah that would that would probably help in giving me a sense of you know what's valuable and and um how how the uh, properties age and that sort of thing. If well, I could, it doesn't sort really, of. Uh, it's not going to really give you any kind of clear picture, though, because number one, they quickly depreciate. So any price that somebody might have paid for it ten years ago might be a lot less now. Um, and also because of Japan's deflationary environment, that's kind of bottomed out late two thousand and twelve. But until then, um, prices were trending downwards. And since then, they would. I'm, so there are a lot of um, fluctuations or stagnation, depending on the area, that might sort of throw off any prices that you look at. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't take that as anything to really right. go by. And also bear in mind that yeah. the realtors and the sellers for that, that handle these cheaper properties, they're pretty much what you see is what you get. There's a limit to how many, uh, how many of them will actually um, allow pre-purchase inspections and how many of them will go out of their way to get sort of um, historical data because they're aware of the fact that they're selling the properties quite cheap so they just don't go out of their way too far yeah that makes sense um one other question i had was um about seasonality i mean given that we're coming into sort of christmas and new year 
um, are there particular months of the year where supply or demand are higher or lower than usual? Not for older properties. That might be a case with newly developed ones, but not for older ones now. There's not, not a particular season. Right. These days, if anything, prices are a little bit softer because of uh, the couple of, of years we've had with COVID. Um, mm -hmm. But when you're looking out in the countryside, with, I mean, in Japan, an hour, hour and a half from a major city is probably pretty much countryside as far as Japan's considered. So prices there are pretty stable slash stagnant. They don't actually change that much. I mean, they, they go down as the, as the structure gets older. But if you're looking at ones that have already fully depreciated, they're probably going to be around the same price levels any time of the year. They don't go down much further, but they're definitely not going to go up. Okay. So it's the centers, and, um, it's the centers of major metropolitan centers and maybe depending on the city, um, quite a few of the suburbs that do tend to go up in value when the economy does well, but not out, out in the sticks like these. Yeah. And, and given that, you know, the properties are going to be sort of a little bit further out, um, one other question I had was, you know, how much does the local government in an area um, affect sort of the experience? I mean, is it going to be, um, are there particular local governments that should be avoided or ones that are, you know, better for dealing with or well, does what, that affect the experience at all? What do you mean by dealing with, for the purchase process, you mean? Um, could, could be or, or even just... Um, yeah, and anything to do with, um, you know, ha having a property in that area, I guess. Um, well, the government's not really involved in anything that you're doing. Japan doesn't have any limitations on foreign buyers. It's really a matter of uh, the transaction between yourself, um, either directly or through us, and the realtor and the seller. All the government's involved in is um, registering the ownership transfer and then issuing you with an annual property statement. So... If, you, if you're referring to how comfortable it would be to live in a particular area as opposed to another, um, I mean, you're out in the Japanese countryside, so I wouldn't expect too much, um, you know, very um, English or foreigner-oriented services at local government branches. That's never going to be a thing unless you're buying in, a, yeah. in an expensive, internationally renowned area like Niseko up in Hokkaido, but that, that, that's not the budget you're talking about. Um. I guess it'll be a matter of maybe more or less infrastructures available, how close is the hospital, how convenient is the shopping kind of thing. But again, that's not really directly related to government. It's more a case of um, just the lifestyle in those particular areas. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess this question came about, I mean, not because I'm specifically concerned with it, but um, I was reading about how even the garbage collection in an area can be different um from one area to another and that just got me thinking you know are there are there other things that may differ a lot um from one area to another um not to a huge extent you're i mean w whichever area you're going to end up purchasing in if it's an hour hour and a half from a big city it's going to be country style living so you can expect most services to be kind of uh, not, not sporadical. I mean, it is Japan. Everything does, you know, go by the book. And if they say they're going to be coming on a certain day of the month, they will. Um, just how frequently that might happen or how convenient it would be to, you know, deal with local authorities. We, we don't really have any clear mapping of any area particular to another. But I'm assuming 
with the budget that you're talking about and the distance from the city, I'm assuming it's going to be quite similar across the board. As in, you're not as in don't don't expect Tokyo level services. Yeah, of course. Um, I I guess the last two questions would sort of be around various regulations. Like, um, I mean, one I, I guess this is just asking for your opinion, but um, how likely is it? Do you think that there could be some form of change in regulation that impacts foreign-owned property uh, in the future? That's not very likely to happen. Japan's very, um, it's a full legal recourse country. They're not gonna, it's not um, like some of the horror stories you hear in Bali and Thailand where the government suddenly comes in and grabs all of your properties. That's that's not gonna happen here. I mean, Japan's a developed right. country. Yeah. And um, if anything, it has been getting a little bit more difficult, but that's, that's not a government policy front, just on a practical level of dealing with local um bodies like the banks and the post office and so forth so they kind of fluctuate i mean it was easier to open a bank account if you were not a resident uh, up till about two or three years ago these days because of anti-money laundering policies it's a little bit more difficult but not, not on a government level i wouldn't expect anything to happen on an on a official policy level except the fact that right, you know yeah. The Japanese tend to get very insular in times of crisis. So when Corona hit, for example, they they didn't allow even foreign residents of Japan to enter the country for a couple of months. Um, again, it's not it's not going to affect your property ownership in any way. But um, you know, in times of crisis, sentiment just on the ground might shift a little bit. But nothing that will um, affect policies or ownership or anything of that sort. Yeah, uh, I mean, I guess what motivated that question is that in Australia, there was actually some foreign ownership law changes a few years ago, I think. Yep, um, you can only but, buy I think that brand was... new developments these days, right? If you're not, if you're uh, yeah, not a not resident. Sure exactly what it is, but yeah, yeah something, something along those lines. And, you know, I think um, it, but I think it is a different market in that you know, Japan is a deflationary property market, whereas Australia is uh, generally quite inflationary when it comes to property. Yeah, and also even, I mean, I can't imagine this would happen, but even if anything like that was to happen here, it's definitely not going to be retroactively to um, properties that have already been purchased. It might be, you know, something that might reflect on future purposes by other people, but not if you've already, right. if you're already owning something, that's, that's not going to change on you. Okay. And um, I mean, one other question, sort of looking maybe years down the line, but um, if someone already owns a property in Japan um, and, they, and they purchase another one, are there any sort of additional costs or penalties associated with doing that? With owning more than one property, you mean? Yeah. Um, no, if you are as, as an individual, no, if you are a resident, um, there would be certain terms that you would be able or not be able to get on the mortgage loan, but not for ownership itself. Now, right, okay, but loans are not available to you anyway as a non resident, so that's not really an issue. Yeah, yeah, great. Uh, I, I think that sort of covers it on my end. Um, 
Okay, so did you, did I, I'm not sure if I forwarded the explanation of services document that we've got that just explains how we work and what the processes are and so forth? Uh, yeah, so I, yeah. I got that and um, it, it looks good. Um, I think, you know, I, I sort of summarized um, the associated costs and um, it seems seems like it's a pretty good proposition. So, um yeah, looking forward to uh, sort of taking on the on board the new information and and proceeding. Okay, so as far as processes and next steps are con are, are concerned, I, I see that you're researching properties on your own. But um, once we're engaged, if you also want us to conduct additional research for you and give you more potentials, maybe from other sources, just let us know. So we can. Put in an hour or two of work um, before we're engaged, but beyond that, to do um, proper research and start contacting sellers and agents and so forth, we will need to be engaged. So, when, when you're ready for that, let me know and we'll walk you through the process. Great, that makes sense. Okay, so that probably covers everything, but feel free to get back to me with any questions via email. And um, yeah, let me, if you want to, by the way, if you want me to give you just a kind of my two cents or my opinion about the properties you're already looking at. Don't be shy to send me the links and I'll, uh, I'll tell you what I think on each and every one of them. Okay. That would be brilliant. Yeah. All right. Um, I think, I think, um, based on this call, yeah, I, I probably will slightly adjust sort of what I'm, what I'm looking at. Um, but, um, yeah, I'll definitely, uh, send you, um, some that, you know, uh, sort of how I'm thinking about it. Yeah. So give, give me. If, I'm thinking about it rather. Yeah. No problem. Give me a few samples of what you've been looking at, and I'll just um, I'll, I'll try to see if I can highlight anything that maybe you weren't thinking of, or just to let you know what we think um, the road forward would look like for costs on these particular properties and their maintenance and so forth. Okay. Great. All right. Good speaking with you. Okay. Great. Thank you, sir. Thanks. Uh, enjoy the rest you, of sir. your day. Yes, sir. Okay, so there you have it. There's obviously a bit more thought that needs to be given to these supposedly cheap, perfect holiday homes. Not that there are not good deals out there to be had, there definitely are, but it's important to know what you're getting into before you pull the trigger. And of course, the best thing that you can do is, as always, make sure you've got professional advice and consultation along the way. So the amount of money that professional representation can save you in, in just in costly mistakes and negotiation options, and of course, the time and the energy, as well as the fact that it helps you gain access to the entire market here, as opposed to only those particular sellers and realtors who are able and willing to work with foreigners. And there's not many of them out there, especially in the countryside. This far exceeds the expense that's actually involved in hiring someone, which is in any case minute when compared with the actual price of a real estate property. So our advice here, as always, is to work with a local entity. We're always happy to assist, of course, but depending on the area that you're interested in, there could be others out there as well. So just, just make sure to choose someone who can represent you and your interests, as well as to provide you with knowledgeable, professional advice every step of the way. Now, before we go, we're also, as always, going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis, or you're already in Japan on some sort of a temporary visa, and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, 
or if you're considering setting up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company and you've got any sort of business or visa related inquiries, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku. Yoroshiku.